But do you recall back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when Israel first demanded a king? You know, we remember the great prophet Samuel. Uh, this is in his later years. And he appointed his sons to be, his, uh, to be the judges of Israel. You know, he's sort of retiring. And so he appoints his sons, Joel and Abijah. However, the Bible tells us that they did not walk in his ways. They turned to dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. And so the people came back to Samuel and demanded that he put a king in their place. Uh, they were, and this really displeased Samuel, you know, not only that his children were being disobedient, uh, but that the people wanted a new change, a uh, form of government. And so uh, God came to Samuel at that point, though, and said, listen, just listen to their requests. They are rejecting me, not you. Let this happen. But then God tells Samuel to tell them that they, uh, and to solemnly warn them, what they were going to get into by having a king. Tell them that they're going to put their sons in his army and he's going to send their, their sons to war. He's going to recruit among them, you know, the, the farmers and people to forge weapons. He's going to take them from the land and, and put them in his employment. He's going to employ their daughters. He's going to take the best of their fields for his staff. You know, he's going to tax the people. He's going to take a tenth of their produce to feed them. He's going to take their male and female servants, their young men, their donkeys, and even a tenth of their flock. And then finally, Samuel says, and you will become his servants. And then you will cry out on that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people, they refused to listen to the words and the warnings of Samuel. But they said, no, but set a king over us. We want a king like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and that he may go out before us and fight our battles. And again, God told Samuel, listen to their voices and appoint for them a king. And so on that day, Israel went from a, a theocracy to a monarchy. And we know the royal history of Israel, how King Saul reigned for about 40 years and then David reigned for another 40 years and Solomon for 40 years. And then after that, the kingdom split and there were various kings for a while until the nation of Israel went away into Babylonian captivity. But having a king was a big deal. You know, even before Saul was established as the first king of Israel, back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, Moses said and wrote about the responsibilities of a king. He knew that one day this would happen. And so he he wrote about how a king uh, is not to multiply horses or to multiply wives or to multiply wealth. And he was to write his own copy of the, the word of God. Uh, there was some responsibilities for being a king. And a king, of course, is signified strength. It signified integrity and protection and order and legacy. Well, you and I, we don't really live in a time period where kings and queens uh, exist. Uh, there are still some, uh, of course, uh, but more, uh, we're, we're more familiar with leaders, you know, uh, leaders that we vote into office, presidents, prime ministers, you know, even dictators here and there. But think of some of the kings, the kings, and I, when I say kings, I put those in quotes, the kings uh, who have been in the news recently. You know, we can think of some who are beloved, like Queen Elizabeth. And again, we'll talk a, more, a little bit about this later. We can think of those who are despised, like Vladimir Putin of Russia. Or we can think of those who, you know, the world is just fixated on, the, the, the leader of the free world, you know, whoever's in the U.S. presidency. You know, those are some of the kings that we read about and we see in the news every day. 
But the problem with these men and women, and we understand, is that their kingdom, their kingship is flawed when it comes, when it compares to Christ. You know, we tend to forget that with all of these things that are going on in these earthly kingdoms, such as war and scandals and and the voting and the 24-7 media coverage, that God has already established a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that is spiritual in nature, a kingdom that is an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that knows no borders, a kingdom with a king, and that, of course, is Christ. And Brenton just read for us First Timothy. Really, I wanted to focus in on uh, chapter 6, verse 15, that says, He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 describes Jesus as the ruler of the kings of the earth. He rules all over all other kings. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3 reminds us that, that when Christ ascended to heaven, that he sat down at the right hand of God, uh, showing his authority, and now he is reigning on high. And we've, we know throughout history that kingdoms have come and gone. You know, kings like King Nebuchadnezzar, and Alexander the Great and the Caesars and the Roman empires, they have come and gone. And so this morning, what makes Christ's kingship different? What makes it superior than all these others? So here's the first point that we want to make this morning. is that Jesus is not a king like Queen Elizabeth. Again, I'm hearkening on those people that we see in the news regularly today. You, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, she's been in the news quite a bit uh, these past few weeks. And the reason why is because uh, although she is 96 years old, she has served the Kingdom of England for 70 years. And so they put on what was referred to as the Platinum Jubilee here back in June 2nd through the 5th. This, it was really a four-day holiday uh, celebrating 70 years of service by the Queen. But, but the big sort of controversy that happened was that, you know, she wasn't able to participate in it just because of her health. And so she chose to remain at Buckingham Palace and come out on the balcony from time to time and wave. But many wondering is as if, you know, maybe these are her final appearances, maybe her final appearance is looming. Now, I think we understand today, if we know sort of the, the government system that's set up over there, is that, you know, the queen really holds no real power. You know, that's all sort of shifted into their government, their parliament, uh, as the monarchy there has evolved. You know, the prime minister really is the head of the government there. But the queen or the king, you know, whoever's in that role, the head of state in the UK, it's largely symbolic. But she has enormous enormous influence which is felt all over the world. And so some of the points I want to make this morning about her kingdom and the kingdom of Christ, and the first one is that Christ's kingdom has no end. You know, again, there is a change coming in the royal family, in the line of succession, it's looming. A new king will be installed someday, and whether that's going to be Charles or, or, or William or her grandson via her death or her retirement, uh, we just don't know, but a new king will be established. Well, you remember back in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, one of our favorite uh, chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, he has this great dream. And he wants to know, uh, he wants someone to interpret that dream. And so he brings in all the wise men of the land. Come in and, and interpret this dream for me and tell me what it means. And so the, the wise men said, well, tell us the dream first. And then we'll tell you what it means. But King Nebuchadnezzar was a little too smart for them. And he said, no, no, no. You tell me the dream and then interpret it for me. But they couldn't do that. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar was so mad that he was going to kill all of the wise men of the land until somebody mentioned, well, there's this, other, there's this other guy in the administration in the land by the name of Daniel who can interpret dreams. And so they bring Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and first of all, Daniel says, listen, I'll do this for you, but it's not me who re- who's going to reveal these mysteries, but it's going to be God who's going to reveal this. And so he, he tells him the dream that he has. And he says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are in your dream. You have this dream of this great statue and the, the, the statue has a head of gold and that represents you. And then beneath that, the breasts and arms of silver is going to be another nation after you. And then of the statue, the the thighs and the belly of bronze is going to be another nation. And then finally, this last nation, the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay uh, is going to be a a different nation. And these are going to be nations that come after you uh, one by one. But notice Daniel and what he says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Because he says... In those days, referring to that last kingdom, in those days, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And we know through secular history that that fourth kingdom uh, is in reference to the Roman Empire. He says, so in the days of those kings, in the days of the Roman Empire, God is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And of course, that is in reference to Jesus Christ and the church. And it will not be left for another people, meaning there will be no need for another ruler, another king in this kingdom, because Jesus is going to reign forever and it will itself endure forever. Well, another reason why uh, Jesus is not a king like Queen Elizabeth is because his reign is not dependent on a physical bloodline. You know, it's not, it's not just the queen that people are fascinated with uh, when you think of the royalty over there, uh, over in the UK. But, you know, the, people want to know, well, who's next in line? Of course, uh, you know, Charles and then grandson William and great-grandson George. You know, you can go online and find these uh, family trees uh, that'll, you know, take you through uh, who's up next, who's in line for it. But again, the point is, is that you're not going to be a king or queen in that family Unless it's in your blood. Well, we'll notice about Jesus' kingdom. Again, uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26, it says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Paul writes that if you were baptized into Christ, you are now in Christ. And because of that, you are heirs according to promise. It's not about a physical bloodline anymore. It's not about being a descendant uh, of Abraham, uh, having Abraham's blood flowing through you. But it's about being a spiritual descendant. There is how you are going to be part uh, of this new kingdom. So again, Jesus is not a king like Queen Elizabeth. And finally, because his reign was, is not about pomp, and paparazzi. You know, have you ever seen a royal wedding? You know, they go all out, don't they? They, they put on uh, a show. You know, it's like Cinderella at the ball. Everyone is fashionably dressed up. There's lines of people waiting, hoping to catch a glimpse of a prince. You know, it's usually televised. You know, there, there's this play-by-play that's kind of going on during it. The paparazzi are going into action, taking their pictures. You'll see limos and motorcades and royal bodyguards everywhere. Notice, notice 
In Matthew chapter 21, what we often refer to as the triumphant entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. You know, this is really the first and only time that Jesus publicly draws attention to himself as he comes in to Jerusalem. It's a week before his crucifixion. You know, this is really going to force the Jewish leaders to act on their plans against him. You remember this? He tells two of his disciples, go into the the city opposite of you, and you're going to go in there, and you're going to find a donkey with her colt, and I want you to bring those two to me. And so they do that. They bring them uh, to Jesus. The, The people lay their coats on the donkey. Jesus gets upon the donkey, and he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. And this, of course, is a a, a messianic prophecy uh, as he rides into Jerusalem, fulfilling the scriptures of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine of the Lord riding in on a donkey. You remember this? They, they, They laid the road with their coats and their tree leaves and stuff as he was riding in on that donkey. Well, a king doesn't ride a donkey into um, into his kingdom. He rides a horse. You know, a horse is about strength. A horse is a symbol of pride and war. But the Prince of Peace chose to ride into Jerusalem on a humble animal of peace. And the people sang Hosanna in the highest. And when the people of the city heard this and were seeing this image of Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey, the people asked, who is this? This is a far cry from from the Queen Elizabeth and the, the royal um, events that go on. But Jesus humbly, humbly rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And again, Jesus is not a king like Queen Elizabeth or any of our earthly kings today. His reign has no end. It's not dependent on ancestry, and nor was it full of pomp and paparazzi. And so let, let's notice our second point here this morning is that Jesus is not a king like Vladimir Putin. Now, again, uh, you know, we understand here in late February of 2022 that Russia invaded Ukraine, you know, and it was sort of a thing in the news, the 24-7 that we were watching. You know, we saw hints of this happening before it uh, actually happened. You know, even years, uh, if you paid attention, you, you know that this was coming to fruition. And there are many factors that prompted, you know, the president of Russia to, to act upon this. But one of the main reasons, of course, is because Ukraine was part of the USSR. They declared independence after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. And so, you know, Putin uh, saw it as his duty to return Russian land back to the Russian Empire. And so he he brought about this war. And again, this isn't the only reason why, but it's one of the main reasons. Well, again, Jesus is not a king like like Vladimir Putin. Number one, because his kingdom is not defined uh, by physical borders. You know, there's, a, there's this erroneous teaching uh, within Christendom about uh, the, the land of Israel today uh, having special significance, uh, the, the territory of Israel. You know, it, we've heard of premillennialism. Well, that's basically what it is. The notion that Jesus is going to return to earth one day and establish a thousand-year reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. And so you'll see that leaders of the world will uh, that believe in this uh, doctrine will actually give Israel a lot of preference when it comes to foreign affairs because they still believe that Israel, the physical land territory of Israel, still has significance today. But we know throughout Scripture that Jesus refers to his kingdom as a spiritual kingdom. John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, when Jesus is talking to Pilate as he's being arrested, 
And Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world or my kingdom is not of this realm. He said, if it were, my servants will be fighting right now so that I won't be handed over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this realm. And then he goes on to say, I am a king and that's why I'm here. But it's to testify to the truth. You know, he wasn't here to lead a revolt to to help the Jewish nation revolt against the Romans. But he was here to lead this spiritual kingdom to bring the truth. You remember the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't notice that Jesus says, go into all the nations, convert them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Uh, go there, make them disciples, set up my kingdom around the world, he says. In Luke chapter 17, uh, verses uh, 20 and 21, the Pharisees said to Jesus, You know, we hear you preaching about this kingdom that's coming. How will we know when it's here? Uh, And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, uh, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Again, the kingdom is not defined by physical borders. And also, secondly, the kingdom does not use intimidation or, or physical force. You know, uh, that word, you know, nuclear war, you know, that's been going around a lot in the news lately as as Russia has been invading into Ukraine. Uh, You know, and that's a strategy of the Kremlin is to sort of bully, uh, to use bullying tactics, you know, threats of nuclear war. Again, all of the unspeakable acts that have been going on in the land of Ukraine uh, against civilians. Well, again, that is contrary to Jesus's kingdom. Jesus sent his disciples out on their own a couple of times, uh, specifically in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. He sends out the 12. This is known as the limited commission. He sends out his 12 apostles uh, on a preaching mission. And then in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 70 other disciples on a preaching mission. He combines them in pairs of two. He sends them out. He says, go, uh, go and preach the, the coming of the kingdom. Uh, you have, uh, you know, heal people miraculously, cast out demons, uh, do, do things so that people will, will take notice and understand the, the power uh, that I have. Well, in both those instances, as Jesus is preparing them to go out into the world to, to preach about the kingdom, he told them both basically take nothing with you as you go. And if a home receives you or a city receives you that you go there, go there and stay. And, and preach the word there. But if they don't receive you, Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet. You know, basically, he says, don't press the issue. You know, move on to the next city. He doesn't say stand there and argue with them and use intimidation factors to get them to convert to Christianity or to convert uh, to, uh, to hearing the message of the gospel. But he says, shake the dust off your feet. Again, don't press the issue. Move on to the next And again, we see this is in stark contrast to Jesus' kingdom. Jesus was not a king like Vladimir Putin. His kingdom is spiritual, and he didn't use intimidation tactics. And then the final point that I want to make this morning is that Jesus is not a king like the United States presidency. You know, as I mentioned before, all eyes are on the leader of the world. You know, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or, uh, or Bill Clinton or George Bush, all eyes are on the leader of the free world. You know, nations look up to the United States for leadership. A U.S. president, uh, we understand, has the power to begin wars, right? They're the commander in chief. 
They have the power to overturn legislation. They have the power to build diplomatic relations among countries. It's such a powerful, powerful position, probably the most powerful in all the world. Yet Jesus is still ruler of the kings on earth. Here's some points about this. Jesus is sovereign. You know, if we were to define the traits of God, we know that he's uh, all powerful and he's all knowing and he's ever present. And those pieces really fill into that term sovereign. To be sovereign means that his right, he has the right to exercise authority over all his creation according to the pleasure of his will. And God is ultimately in control of all powers, of all earthly powers. Uh, notice Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse uh, 20, uh, it talks about when, when Christ, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him all as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says that Jesus is sovereign. He is above all in this age and in the age to come. And not only that, uh, notice also what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1 in particular. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. Civil governments are even under the Lord's supreme power, right? They exist because uh, Jesus allowed them to. Well, not only is he sovereign, but, but the second point I have up here is that Jesus doesn't veto uh, legislation. Again, uh, that's one of the points of, uh, you know, a U.S. president comes in and maybe they don't like the, ro the rules that are laws that are in place. And so they have the, the power to override those, to veto them, you know, to nix uh, what was in place for their preference. And we see that as one administration comes in and the next and the next and the next, we just see that over and over again. Well, the point is that uh, Jesus's laws do not change. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, we remember that, uh, that Peter there gives the great confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood uh, did not reveal these things to you. And then in verse 19, he says, you know, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Meaning, Peter, when you go and teach uh, the things about my kingdom, these things have already been established in heaven. You know, you're, you're already, you're, all you're doing is just promoting what, uh, my heavenly uh, divine rules that have already been bound in heaven and loosed in heaven. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 24 verse, and 25 says that God's word endures forever. You know, just like uh, flesh, uh, flesh is just like grass, it withers and falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Hebrews 13, verse 8, of course, says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and, and today and forever. And then the final point I want to give on this uh, topic is that Jesus is not anxious about tomorrow. Well, what do you mean by that, Michael? Well, you know, the, if we pay attention to the news, we know that a, a president, you know, whoever it is, he has to go through a lot of things he deals with, you know, and those, those things right now that are worrying Americans and people around the world are things like inflation 
and gas prices and even baby formula. You know, those are the things that we read about in the news. Well, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34? He said, God knows what you need. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothing. Don't be worried about your life, what you uh, are to eat or drink, because life is more than that. And don't be worried about what you put on your body, because, again, the body is more. You know, G- uh, Jesus said, I created you. I-, I-, I know what you need. I take care of the birds of, air, uh, of the air. Aren't you worth more? And then I love what he says in verse 32, uh, again, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't be like the Gentiles who eagerly seek all these things. You know, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be anxious about what the world is anxious about. Again, about high gas prices, about uh, inflation. Don't be worried about those things. I've got you. Right? Just, but then he says in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I will take care of you. I know what you need. Again, Jesus was not a king like any of our U.S. presidents. Again, Jesus is sovereign. He, he's never changing. And he is not worried about tomorrow. I want to end this lesson by reading to you uh, Psalm chapter 2. And it's 12 verses, but I think it reflects very well what we, what we talked about here this morning. Uh, Psalm chapter 2. Uh, listen to the words of the psalmist. He says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession." You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, and he has not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Really, what that chapter of the Psalms is telling us is that no matter who is in power, no matter who is reigning on earth, Christ reigns on high. You know, this morning, you and I, we love the fact that Jesus is our creator, right? that all things have been created through him and by him and for him and for his pleasure, that he is our savior, that he went to the cross and died for us so that we could have redemption uh, from sin, that he is our redeemer, again, redeeming us, buying us back, that he is our advocate, that we can go to him at any time uh, through him to get to the Father in prayer. But what about his kingship this morning? What about his kingship? Have you accepted this fact that, that Jesus is your king? You know, sure, we, we hearken back to Israel wanting a king, like all the nations around them. But as Samuel told them, having a king demanded that his kingdom be in subjection to him. You know, if a king gives orders... We don't just sit around and contemplate if we're going to do it. We do it. Have you accepted this, that he has authority in his kingdom? That that we don't get to pick and choose which heavenly decrees to follow. Uh, That he gets the preeminence 
in our lives. And I think we all uh, this morning probably could say that we could do better, uh, do a better job of making sure that he is king in our lives. And so this morning, don't make the same mistake Israel did when they rejected him as their king and nailed him to the cross. I like the song that we uh, just sang as we uh, began this lesson, that we shall see the king someday. And how true that is, as the Bible tells us that someday all knees shall bow, uh, all tongues shall confess at the coming of the Lord. And this morning, are you ready? Are you ready for the day when when the king will return uh, to receive his own or to send those uh, who do not know him or never obeyed the gospel into eternal punishment? This morning, uh, if you have not obeyed the gospel... We would love the opportunity to talk to you about that, uh, to pray for you about that. Or if you're ready to put Christ on in baptism, uh, we would love the opportunity to help you that, to begin your life uh, in Christ, to become a Christian, a new creation, uh, to be part of his kingdom. Or this morning, if you are a humble servant of his kingdom, but maybe uh, uh, times are getting tough, you're struggling, you need the prayers and encouragement of the congregation Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Whatever it may be, this morning is no better time to do that. Uh, Make your requests known as together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.